You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inside Healthcare. I'm Matt Brock, your host. Kevin Wiley is our guest today, and wow, what a great one. He is the new Phyllis Torta Healthcare Quality and Equity Fellow at NCQA. He's currently a doctoral student in health policy and management at Indiana University, but he's worked many places at the Medical University of South Carolina as a scholar with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. He's worked for HHS, and he was the Minority Health International Research Training Scholar for the NIH in Thailand. With all his accomplishments, we know he has a bright future ahead. We are delighted to be a part of that, and we are delighted to have him with us today to talk about his views on health equity, what he's learned in his career so far, and his hopes and plans for his time with us here at NCQA. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. So glad you're here, and welcome to NCQA. Uh, I have met every Torta fellow. And so you come from good stock if you follow the, <laughs> if you follow the pattern. Tell our audience what, uh, you know, we've read your bio, but uh, tell us what it is that drew you to this area of work as a young man. Absolutely. And thank you, Matt, for having me uh, on the podcast today. Um, so and I'm, I'm excited to to be at NCQA um, to not only share the work that I'm doing, but to also participate um, and extend my skills and expertise to uh, some future projects. Uh, so the, the reason why I'm interested in, in improving health quality uh, is because it for me, it starts at, I think, health information. Um, and I think health information can, can serve to uh, not only um, improve downstream effects of of chronic disease, but I think it can also generally improve the, the for single patients, but generally improve the health of populations as well. Um, specifically, uh, patient patient populations managing type two diabetes, um, and so I'm hearing now that there's a lot of uh, diabetes related projects, but um, there's also a lot of data quality related projects. And this is sort of the uh, a focus, especially now uh, as we. Uh, realize that sharing information um, and utilizing data to uh, draw inferences for patient health, as we're realizing how important assessing the quality of that data is, um, I think that is also important in sort of the pathway to improving healthcare quality, as is the mission of NCQA. The, uh, I, I understand that, and I understand where we're going to go on that discussion about what you're going to work on. But I want to know personally okay. what led you to healthcare uh, and healthcare quality. Okay, yeah. So personally, um, I think it, it starts with my family, um, and so my my dad has experienced a number of of chronic disease conditions that have all but uh, just put him in a wheelchair, basically. Um, but so I think I think it, having that experience of seeing the deterioration of of a close family members' health um, really drove me to public health generally and population health, um, but also to healthcare quality and understanding what it what it takes to uh, improve the health of a person um, and general their quality of life uh, as a result of of some of the chronic conditions and how that can be improved um, 
in healthcare and using uh, health information and other other technologies created in, uh, by care delivery. Yeah, you know, Kevin, uh, in my past, I worked at a major hospital in the Washington area doing communications for them as well. And one of the just heartbreaking things that I would see every day walking into where mass transit brings these folks to the hospital is dozens and dozens of people waiting to get home or arriving, missing limbs. And um, and like your father in a wheelchair. Um, and by and large, probably this hospital, you know, it's in DC, so by and large, it'll have a large African-American population. However, most of those folks outside, I'd say 95% of those folks were African-American. So it's a, a serious issue within your community. And it's clear if you have that many folks outside waiting, and they were all going to dialysis, I should point out. Um, that's They had a big dialysis operation right there. Um, it is a serious, serious issue within your community as well. Not to pin that all on you, but um, it is, has that played a role you think for you and your interest? It, it definitely has. Um, it's, uh, chronic kidney disease uh, and you know, what exacerbates it is, is, I think, type 2 diabetes or just diabetes generally. I have a cousin who is about two years older than me. Um, he died about two, two years ago. He had type 1 or what's considered pediatric diabetes. Um, and so he died from complications of, of that disease. And then I have a, an uncle um, who, who had his limbs removed due to complications from type 2 diabetes as well. So uh, just seeing it not only in my family, but as you mentioned, um, there's a lot of, of persons of color who, who deal with this. Um, and it can, I think it can be resolved prior to, you know, uh, losing your vision or having limbs amputated. I think a lot of these uh, conditions can be sort of uh, delayed a little bit um, if you have access to the right healthcare. Um, and in order to get that access, you need to understand how to navigate the healthcare system. And that requires good quality information, which is shared amongst providers and also shared from provider to, to patient. So yet yeah, from a population health standpoint, I think it's important to, you know, on the pathway to chronic kidney disease and dialysis, um, make sure that there's uh, the important uh, information and other indicators are shared with patients. Um, and then I think it, just generally improving uh, quality of care is, is, is the result of that. I think that's how healthcare quality, frankly, works. Is a lot of people try and take a little chunk, and then we then we end up getting the whole thing. Hopefully, someday. Um, <laughs> and and from a NCQA perspective, we're never really there anyway. In terms of, we always believe we can do better. So, um, but clearly, there you know, and NCQA has several projects that they've worked on type. To diabetes and diabetes response and and uh, diabetes measurement, and so you're in the right place for that. Um, tell me about your your own personal research so far, and uh, what you expect to do here at NCQA. Absolutely. 
So my my personal research is at the center of the, I guess, the intersection of health information technology policy mm-hmm. or, or informatics and then health services research. Um, and so my I, I've published um, in a couple different spaces related to that intersection I just mentioned. So um, on health information exchange and how that supports um, uh, sharing of information between providers across different types of settings uh, to improve care quality and care coordination. Um, I've explored uh, in in somewhat of an indirect way how equitable uh, certain professions and disciplines are when it comes to um, uh, doctoral graduates from bio, the biomedical informatics field uh, and their placement uh, in jobs, specifically in academic uh, or research intensive academic settings. But I think the my, my primary research right now, the focus of my dissertation is examining how clinical data quality has care coordination uh, implications for patients managing type 2 diabetes. Uh, in that, what I'm doing is I'm measuring uh, uh, three dimensions of data quality, uh, timeliness, completeness, and concordance. And I'm using these measures to model or, or uh, to, to show that they may have some sort of uh, influence on uh, care coordination outcomes, specifically delayed care for patients and repeat visits across care settings, um, which you may imagine patients managing type 2 diabetes uh, often interact with the healthcare system uh, for a variety of different health issues. It could be diabetic retinopathy, as you mentioned, chronic kidney disease and dialysis, um, uh, dietitians, primary care, nephrologists. Uh, and so there's a there's a range of, of different types of places that they may be seen. And so just pr- not necessarily predicting, but seeing if there's any implications for uh, uh, care, those two care coordination outcomes um, that are driven by the data quality measures that I just that I just shared. Explain what care to our listeners, because not everybody is there with you. Um, what those two care coordinations are again? Yeah. Uh, so the the two outcomes that I'm, I'm I guess exploring include a delayed care. And so, for example, the American Diabetes Association um, requires or has guidelines for patients who are managing type 2 diabetes to get um, a hemoglobin A1C test every three to six months. Uh, If they delay that beyond six months, generally that is due to, it could be due to a number of of challenges, but that would be considered delayed care. So uh, in, in helping it, providers assisting patients in um, in coordinating their own care, so they may coordinate care with, uh, for instance, uh, the lab um, by getting that test done, or they may help help refer out patients to get some sort of nutrition counseling um, or wellness counseling. Uh, so, so those things are care coordination. But I'm focusing again on delay one C test beyond six months, and then the second care coordination outcome is. Uh, repeat visits across settings. Um, and so, it's, uh, the literature calls, I guess, I guess patients who interact with the hospital system more often than others, they call them high utilizers. I don't like to necessarily use that language, uh, but seeing whether or not patients who interact with the healthcare system uh, frequently, if, if that is driven by some of the data quality measures that I just mentioned, um, and if 
we can use that to inform better ways of of helping patients care uh, coordinate care, especially patients managing chronic disease. Um, I think that will generally have improvements of care quality across the board. Yeah, the, sometimes they just don't coordinate, and the patient has to coordinate them. I think any any interaction that you have with the health care system comes at a cost, whether it's time or money. And as you mentioned, someone is paying for the for it, uh, whether it's you and your insurance insurance company, or just you yourself, or if the uh, hospital or healthcare system just assumes the cost themselves. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the repeat testing thing is a, uh, is a pretty big problem. Uh, missing information is also an issue too. Um, and so no, no one wants to, if you do have uh, missing information, you may have to get, you know, a secondary hemoglobin A1C test, which requires blood draw. Um, no one wants to do that more than they need to, right? And so um, I think there's some other pretty, they're not invasive tests, but I, I think there's a level of inconvenience to any sort of uh, uh, lab draw or or other type of test. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I could imagine, you know, having that issue, repeat testing and misinformation, whereby you have to provide additional uh, uh, laboratory test that I could imagine that being a challenge, um, which may may drive patients to um, not adhering to a specific sort of medical regimen um, that their provider has has prescribed. Tell me why in CQA why you applied for the Torta Fellowship and uh, and your thoughts about it so far. I mean, you've been here like two weeks, maybe. Um, <laughs> So it's an early account, I understand. But uh, tell me why and and what you think. Yeah, so the I was really uh, taken by the mission, is simply improving healthcare quality. Um, and so <laughs> there, I think there. The good thing is there's a lot of way to, a lot of ways to do that. And I think um, you know my research on data EHR and clinical data quality um, to improve outcomes for patients managing type two diabetes aligned well with the mission of of improving healthcare quality. And so uh, I, I saw that as an opportunity to to learn more from it, it, some of the researchers at NCQA and some of the projects being led at NCQA. Um, and again, the alignment of my own research with the mission, um, I think was a very important step, uh, a very important next step for me as a, a, as a doctoral student or, or PhD candidate um, and improving not only my knowledge and skills, but uh, how I contextualize all of this for um, my own career and my own sort of mission of improving information quality, health, and subsequently healthcare quality, and ultimately healthcare quality. It's a pretty opportune time to sort of get involved with that, right? Because it's all beginning to come together in terms of digital measurement of quality. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Um, and I, I'm starting to see it's interesting because I, I, I had no idea most people you look at the literature, the, the literature for information or data quality is is somewhat dated in the healthcare space is relatively novel, uh, but some some of it's dated. Uh, I think we um, in most cases as a researcher don't necessarily uh, understand the implications of, of 
of poor quality data. We just want access to it so we can answer important research questions, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely a very opportune time, I think, to be exploring not only research questions about EHR data quality or clinical data quality or claims or administrative data quality, but understanding what what past work in research um, on data that may not have been great quality, what that means for the, the just various uh, disciplines, uh, quality improvement outcomes, um, clinical decision making, and empirical research generally. So yeah, it's a great time to be exploring these, these, uh, these ideas for sure. Because it has, a, it, while it has been dated and lengthy, and you tell a person, a, um, I'll call them a civilian, and you tell them that we're trying to get your electronic health record to look a great deal like your credit record, everything in the same place. Mm-hmm. And they always think, well, why hasn't that happened already, right? <laughs> but now it's accelerating. It looks like that soon some semblance of that will be here and that will not only be all that collection of information for the patient but for folks like you who are trying to find better ways to do things correct so the acceleration is going to be very helpful for you as well and it's kind of cool i think to be a part of shaping that ecosystem which Mm -hmm. i imagine you will be part of yeah yeah and and the important thing is to understand i think uh, for just lay consumers or, or lay persons to understand why these data are being used, to understand that there are lots of protections for security and privacy. There's obviously a uh, uh, law that's been enacted for probably, over, I think, over 20 years now mm-hmm. uh, to protect that information in the sharing of that information. <clears throat> um, and so uh, I think those are important things to to definitely consider and keep in mind when we do as researchers want to use patient patient data to um, improve their own care quality improve clinical decision making um, and and make better inferences about population health generally uh, and so yeah this these those things are important and 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 i think if we could communicate better why we're doing this work um, it, it will it will do a lot of good i think and then uh, I imagine the past year and a half has probably made that a little more difficult in terms of privacy and the politicization of healthcare. <laughs> um, I imagine it got a little bit, I mean, it was rough before trying to to explain to people that your data is not connected with your name or number when we use it. Um, <clears throat> And I think that probably got much worse in the last year and a half. You have a tall order to fill, all of you, because of that. Correct? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And if you look at some of the earlier uh, studies that you mentioned from the start of the pandemic, you can see that there were big name researchers who got, who got a lot wrong. And it was mostly attributed to you know uh, the origin of the data, how how it was collected, et cetera. Um, and so by having poor sort of inferences that were that public health agencies, et cetera, were drawing from in order to, you know, create some sort of public health protocol or framework to, to protect people, 
um, for for the for the data to be suspect and uh, give more fodder to people who are already uh, um, skeptical of of public health and and some of the public health um, guidelines that were issued is is um, is pretty bad. But I think you know the last year and a half has been uh, pretty tough generally for uh, the public health policy community, the public health sort of uh, data and infrastructure. Uh, communities and we're seeing now, you know, as a result of as a result of that, more infrastructure, more training and um, and knowledge to be um, directed to a lot of these public health uh, uh, agencies across the country because they they're on the front lines and they're collecting important information that we we use as researchers and and practitioners also use to inform. Um, good com sound communication for for the general public. Talk to me a little bit about the pandemic, your experience. I don't know it, so I'm not asking anything personal, but uh, your experience and your thoughts about it and and what you think so far is the lesson. <laughs> That's very good. It is a so far, isn't it? <laughs> it's not over. It's not over and we are still learning uh, lessons that we probably should have learned a long time ago. I, I think it's been interesting um, as a researcher. So I I'll also do telehealth related research. Um, part of my dissertation is that the first aim is to examine the differences in, in EHR data quality among office based and telehealth visits. Um, and so one of the more interesting things as a researcher, speaking as a researcher that I saw uh, as a result of the pandemic was sort of a shift amongst uh, folks who either never really did uh, this telehealth related research. Um, and so there was a shift largely because a lot of the, the patient care was uh, transitioned from office based to telehealth to protect providers and patients from any COVID transmission. Uh, and so there, there were also there was also a transition of, you know, uh, researchers who who never explored telehealth questions uh, into just trying to adapt, I guess, their own research to a telehealth sort of context. Uh, and with that, they sort of lost, uh, I think, a lot of the, a lot of just general t context about um, about how important it is to to understand why patients utilize certain technologies to begin with um, and how they communicate via these technologies. And so <clears throat> just like just like access with office based visits was, you know, pretty bad for some disadvantaged populations, it was also bad for for telehealth. And so I think <clears throat> coming to that conclusion as if it were some sort of eureka moment was uh, kind of weird for me. And from an equity standpoint, it should have been it should have been obvious that these were going to be the same types of outcomes that you've seen. Uh, previously, but I think just for me as a researcher, the stay, I think staying in a lane where uh, you can best inform the scholarly literature is important uh, because I think with that also came really, really bad research. Um, and so I, I think I think as a researcher that that was one of my biggest, um, my biggest, not necessarily issues, but I was just really blown away by uh, the the transition and and 
the types of research folks were doing. <laughs> and that that in, for lack of a better word, that inequity translated in both places. So it did. It's not necessarily an access issue, so to speak. It's not. It's not. A, it's not really to me. <laughs> It's not an access equity issue uh, as far as accessing or interacting with the healthcare system, but there, I think there's a lot of uh, of social needs related um, inequities that that brought up that worsened that were worsened by the pandemic um, that really um, made just generally accessing healthcare difficult for some some patient populations, um, but. Yeah, there, there was no really no new information to be gleaned from from that particular outcome. As a data expert, and and I'm Joe, know a little bit, uh, no, no, I'm an expert in nothing, know a little bit about everything. But as a data expert, um, <laughs> did the, will the pandemic help research, or does it? you know, set up a new hurdle for research and for finding real answers on equity? So, so I'll approach this from a public health and, and sort of equity um, uh, approach to solutions for as a result of the pandemic. So for public, I think for public health research, there's going to be there's more money and funding uh, to improve, again, infrastructure. Um, and training of the public health informatics workforce. Um, and so I, I think the pandemic has has helped a lot of elected persons and a lot of, uh, of influential folks to realize that the front lines of the public health agencies are extremely important. Um, sharing information between public health agencies and hospitals is crucial in, in a pandemic. Um, and then also making sure from an equity uh, lens, making sure that these organizations have access to uh, the resources so that they can uh, report data, they can uh, share information uh, that's time sensitive, um, and then also be able to treat patients uh, upon receipt of, of someone um, presenting with COVID-like symptoms. And so I think equity amongst uh, amongst or, uh, healthcare organizations is just as important as equity among uh, patients who require the resources that these organizations can provide to improve their their health. Tell me a book I should read. Oh, this a book you should read if you have not is the Weapons of Math Destruction. Uh, and so it's a book about how a poorly trained algorithms and algorithms that use uh, historical data that are generally not good quality have uh, in the the outcomes that are are gleaned from these algorithms and how they have damaging effects on on certain populations certain not just patient populations but um, just populations generally uh, I think it is it's an important read and it's written by a, a mathematician who started her career, um in finance mm -hmm. um and so i think the the weapons of math destruction is important for ju just anyone to understand how algorithms basically govern almost everything about our daily lives and how important it is to have good quality data going into those algorithms um, so that we 
don't suffer too many uh, uh, adverse consequences as a result. Thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. We appreciate it. And we want to let our uh, audience know that uh, we uh, an award a fellowship every year for the Torta Fellowship, uh, Phyllis Torta having uh, been a big part of building NCQA uh, before she passed away six years ago. So uh, we appreciate that you're here and we appreciate that you're honoring her memory with such fine work. Thank you very much, Kevin, for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you so much. And I, I'm excited to continue the work that, that she started and to, to get working on, on projects with NCQA. So thank you so much. Looking back now, Inside Healthcare has brought you great interviews for a number of years. We explore all aspects of the healthcare industry, advances in remote care technology, and improvements in care and patient visibility. So we want to share a clip from an insightful talk we had back in 2019 with United Healthcare's Vice President for National Strategic Partnerships, Sheila Shapiro. My discussion with her focused on the ICD-10 diagnostic codes, a relatively new set of metrics designed to capture social determinants of health more accurately than before. Members tell us that they have a need that's really outside of a traditional benefit. Um, those things could be examples like utilities or transportation if they don't have that benefit. Um, we, we assist them with food which is a, a very large um, component of what we do. And so we began a program by identifying all those individuals who tell us that they have a need. Many, many, many of our employees were helping people get those services, but that information really didn't have a voice because there aren't codes in the system. Mm -hmm. There isn't a language of social determinants that's standardized that would allow the healthcare system to actually understand what that need is and be able to solve for it in a more holistic way. So we created a, a design model that allows us to capture that information wherever that person tells us that they need assistance. And we basically give it a voice by leveraging ICD-10 codes. That was United Healthcare VP for National Strategic Partnerships, Sheila Shapiro. She joined me in episode 14 of Inside Healthcare. You can listen to episode 14 and all our podcasts at blog.ncqa.org. Just search Inside Healthcare in the search bar. And of course, all our podcasts are available right where you're listening wherever you get your podcast. By the way, you can send your feedback, thoughts, and guest recommendations to communications at ncqa.org. That's communications at ncqa.org. We, of course, welcome your input and especially those guest recommendations. Before we go, we wanted to remind you of NCQA's Quality Innovation Series. The series of more than 40 courses features experts and colleagues from across the healthcare spectrum. Sessions cover everything from health equity to telehealth, from high-tech medicine to the future of patient care. For all Quality Innovation Series sessions, NCQA offers discounts and continuing education credits toward maintaining various certifications. Coming up on Thursday, August 26th, 
Our Quality Innovation Series presents optimizing community health workers and population monitoring techniques to address the social determinants of health. Then, on Tuesday, August 31st, we present creating alignment between value-based care, quality programs, and health equity objectives. And on Tuesday, September 7th, the Quality Innovation Series offers implementing a population health-focused quality program across an integrated network. Now, you can sign up for as many sessions as you like, and all sessions are recorded and may be viewed at any time. Find out more about the 2021 Quality Innovation Series at education.ncqa.org. So, that does it for another edition of Inside Healthcare. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matt Brock. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>